You know, back when I started talking to the deacons about praying before for offering, I didn't think that out very well. <clears throat> Fritz was never smart enough to pray like that. So I could tell stories on Fritz, and now Kelly went and prayed, and oh well. I still have stories. I just have to tell the true ones. Sometimes that takes the fun out of it. But, you know, they say truth is stranger than fiction. Have you heard that? Truly, it is. It is. Kelly, Kelly and I, we went out and we went uh, squirrel hunting uh, Friday and Saturday for them vicious little squirrels. Now, I never knew that a squirrel was vicious until we went. We went, and we're, we're hunting squirrels in this hay field. The squirrels are eating all the hay, apparently. So they, they also tend to eat each other. But they, they're, they're crazy little critters, let me tell you. So I'd get them in my sights, and I'd see a squirrel, and I'm thinking, okay, squirrel, you're going to meet your maker. And then Machine Gun Kelly would strike. Man, he would spray more lead down that field. This looked like a scene from World War II. Squirrels diving into holes, trying to get away. <laughs> and that's the truth. <laughs> oh, would you join me as we continue our study through the book of 1 Corinthians? We're going to take a look this morning at 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And as we take a look, don't panic because we're not going to get through the whole chapter Hopefully we'll get through as far as I planned on. We'll see. But the 1 Corinthians chapter 15 is one of the most important chapters through the book of 1 Corinthians because it deals with the resurrection. It deals with the truth of that blessed hope. And so we're going to take a look at that as we go through. Now, as Paul's writing to the church at Corinth, listen to what's going on for them. They, they have what's known as uh, the Stoics. It's a, it's a group of philosophers that were all throughout uh, Greece at the time who basically lived by the creed, you know, eat, drink, tomorrow we die, and that's it. Well, we still have them with us today. They call them existentialists because stoic was shorter. And so if you get a bigger word, it's got to be a better thing, right? So they're existentialists now. There's nothing beyond what we live, what there is today. We just, we have what we have. And so Paul's going to talk about that. He's going to help them to realize the vital importance of understanding that God's Word, guys, God's Word teaches there is a resurrection. There is a resurrection. And in that resurrection, we place our hope. That's why Paul would write in the Scripture, we don't mourn as those without hope. He was talking about when we lose a brother or sister. Now, we didn't lose them, but they've left us. They've gone ahead. They've passed away. They've died. However you want to say it, Paul says we don't mourn as those who have no hope because there is a resurrection. There is a resurrection. Daniel chapter 12 tells us that there is a resurrection to life and there is a resurrection to death. That there are those who will be raised up and spend eternity with Christ. And there are those who will be raised up, judged, 
and spend eternity in the absence of God. So as we look at it, there's two, there's t- the two sides of that resurrection should encourage us. One, that we have hope that, that our faith is placed in a just and living God. And secondly, that we have got to be sharing that faith with people around us. Because there is a resurrection. Life doesn't just end. It doesn't just stop. We are created for so much more than this. So as we take a look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 1, he says there, Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel. Now, when I was younger, I used to say things like, I wish there was somewhere I could go in the Bible that just spell it out right, nice and plain. What's the gospel? Well, good news. 1 Corinthians 15 does just that for us. I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received and in which you stand. Standing in the faith and trust of the truth of the good news. Gospel just means good news. The good news of what Jesus Christ has come and done for us. He says in verse 2, By which also you are saved. If you hold fast that word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. Now people, when they look at that, they get a little bit confused. I remember when I talked to you about the Greek language, the Greek language helping us understand what the Scripture has. God picked Greek. Why? Because the Koine Greek transmits exact thought. It's hard to get off track. So if we're confused about what something's saying, sometimes we can find clarification by understanding what's the Greek talking about. And remember when we talk about if, there's, there's four class conditions. Four class conditions about the word if. Some mean absolutely true. Some work just like if works today. When we look at this word, he's talking about that same word just like if in English. If you hold fast, what's he mean? If I don't hold fast, am I lost? Well, listen, guys, he's going to tell us what he means if we'll allow the Scripture to speak for itself because we just go down and we look at verse 13. In verse 13 and 14, just to get ahead a little bit, but if there is no resurrection of the dead, Christ is not risen. If Christ is not risen, our preaching is vain and your faith is vain. It's empty. It's useless. So he's talking about, listen, the believing of the gospel, receiving the gospel that he's about to lay out for us includes the resurrection. If you don't believe in the resurrection, what is the point? What is the point? Your, your faith is, is empty. What are you hoping for? There's, there's, no, there's no hope if we live today, eat, drink, be merry, tomorrow you die, it's all over, that's it? Is that, is that, why, is that the whole purpose that we're here on earth for? Well, Paul says, listen, if you're going to receive the gospel, receive it all, including the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And here he gives us the gospel. Look, for I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins. First part of the good news is not just that Christ died. It's that Christ died for our sin, for our iniquity. And I love how Paul puts it because then he says, according to the Scriptures. Now, what Scriptures did they use then? They had the Old Testament. The New Testament was just being written. 
So he's saying, listen, all these things were foretold. They're told to you in the scriptures. Where in the scriptures do we find them? Well, let's take a look. Let's go look at Isaiah chapter 53. If you turn there with me, you might keep a little marker there because we'll probably be back to Isaiah 53 before it's all said and done. Isaiah chapter 53. Beginning at verse 1, he says, Now who has believed our report? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he will grow up before him as a tender plant, as a root out of dry ground. He has no form or comeliness when we see him, and there is no beauty that we should desire him. Jesus looked just like everybody else. And the great is the mystery of godliness that God was manifested in the flesh. What was it like for Almighty God to be clothed as an infant? He grew up as a, a tender root. In dry ground. Right before the Father. There He is. The Son. Come to earth. And He goes on in verse 3. Yet He is despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid as it were our faces from Him. See that means as Jesus is coming down the Via Della Rosa. On the way to the cross. Carrying the cross on His back. He was despised and rejected. Man hated him, but they couldn't even bear to look at him. We hid our faces from him. You ever done something or been a part of something that at one time you're so angry about and at the same time you're so filled with shame? Somebody was to look right dead in your eyes at that moment, you would look away. We hid our faces, as it were, from him. For he is despised, and we did not esteem him. What's verse 4 say? Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Jesus Christ, on the way to the cross. At the cross. This incredible thing occurs when he who knew no sin became sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God. He's not only having the weight of sin poured upon him, he becomes sin and dies. So that the penalty for all sin, all around the world, for all time, is paid. And all man has to do is look to him and believe. And he receives salvation. Surely he has borne our griefs, carried our sorrows. But listen, we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. What did they think? Oh, God must hate him. God must hate him. Look what's happening to Jesus. Look what they're doing to him. We esteemed him smitten, stricken, smitten by God. This is God's punishment. If he's really the Messiah, God wouldn't have gone through all this. Well, really? Because... 800 years before crucifixion was invented, the scripture declared that Jesus' hands and feet would be pierced. Psalm 22. It gives to us the very words that Jesus would speak from the cross. This this work, this act, that was spoken of for the first time in the scriptures, guys, in Genesis chapter 3. You can't get much closer to the beginning than that. That Jesus would die... For their sins. He goes on. But he was wounded for, what's he say? Our transgressions. He was wounded for our. 
transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquity, our failures, our sin. That's why he was smitten. That's why he was bruised. The chastisement for our peace was upon him. In order for us to have peace with God, God poured out his wrath on his only begotten most beloved son so that we might be able to live in him and by his stripes we're healed all we like sheep have gone astray and have turned everyone his own way but the lord laid upon him the iniquity of us all god poured upon the son all the sin of the world And he who knew no sin became sin, according to the Scriptures. What did Daniel 9 say? Daniel 9 says that the Messiah, the Mashiach, would be cut off, cut out, put to death. But then it says, not for his own sins, but for that of the people. Daniel told the people, Isaiah 53 said, throughout the Old Testament Scriptures, there are pictures, patterns, paintings, if you will, that God would die for their sin. Well, I mean, consider Genesis chapter 22. Genesis chapter 22. Remember, Abraham comes to the Lord and the Lord says, Abraham, take your son, your only son whom you love, and offer him as a sacrifice unto me on the mountain that I will show you. Now, let me ask you a question. How many sons did Abraham have? He had two, didn't he? Isaac's not even the oldest, is he? But he says, take your what? Only son. Why? Why is Isaac the only son? Well, he's the son of promise. Through Isaac, all the nations of the world will be blessed because through Isaac will come Jesus Christ. And so Abraham begins to act out a pitcher. He takes his son, and upon his son he puts the wood, and he takes the fire, and he takes the knife, and he tells the young men there at Mount Moriah, the same mountain where Jesus would be offered up, also known as Calvary or Golgotha, he takes his son to that place, he tells the young men, the lad and I are going to worship, and we will return. You know, the book of Hebrews gives us insight into what Abraham was thinking. Abraham was believing in resurrection. He said, even though I kill my son, God said he promised all the nations of the world would be blessed through the seed that would pass through Isaac. So God's going to do something else. And he went up believing The Bible tells in Hebrews that he accounted his son dead the moment they left. You have any idea how many days it took him to travel to Mount Moriah? Three days. Interesting, isn't it? Three days he counted his son dead. Then, as he takes his son and his son says, Dad, we got the wood, where's the sacrifice? You remember what Abraham said? Genesis 22 says, Abraham prophesied and said... He declared unto them, hey, God will provide. We spoke it today. Yahweh Yireh. God will provide. And then Abraham said, 
himself the lamb. God will provide himself the lamb. And then he went on to prophesy, and on this mount it will be provided. Where was Jesus crucified? On that mount. The pictures were painted. The scriptures declared that God would become the lamb and die for our sins. And as the knife was coming down, the Lord stopped him, right? From that time forward, folks, from Genesis 22 on, God called Abraham his friend. The first time love is mentioned in the Bible is a love between Abraham and his son, between a father and his son. First time love's ever mentioned. God calls him friend. Why? Because now Abraham understands a little bit, a little bit, of what another father will do with his son on that same mountain. The fellowship of suffering, and they're bound together in that. So, the first part of the gospel, Jesus Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. Throughout the Old Testament we see it. Then, he was buried and rose again the third day according to the scriptures. He was buried and rose again the third day, according to the Scriptures. Now, we already talked about Genesis 22, but if we go back to Isaiah 53 and continue where we left off, in verse 7 it says, He was oppressed, he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison and judgment. And who will declare his generation? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgressions of my people he was stricken. And they made his grave with the wicked, but with the rich at his death. When Jesus was dying, who was he with on the cross? Two thieves. They made his grave with the wicked, but when he died, where did they place him? In a rich man's tomb. He was buried according to the scriptures. And then we have this this neat little phrase, he rose again on the third day according to the scriptures. Well, well, where do we see talk of the, of the resurrection in the Scriptures? It's so exciting because if you do a study in the book of Leviticus, and we've been going through it on Wednesday nights, you come to Leviticus chapter 14. Leviticus chapter 14 was given to the nation of Israel for 1,500 years. They never needed it. It was instructions on what to do when a leper was cleansed. Never needed it. 1,500 years. Never needed it one time. But there's this neat little sacrifice that the priest was to offer whenever someone was cleansed of leprosy. See if you can see the pictures in it. They would bring two birds. They would take those two birds and they would take them to a place over living water, running water. And over living water, they would have there with them a a clay pot. The clay pot, speaking of our humanity. And they would take these birds, speaking of that which flies or dwells in the heavens, coming into this clay pot. And they would kill one of the birds in that clay pot over the water. And they would take the other bird and dip him in the blood. Holding him over the water, they would let him go. And he'd fly away. Speaking of the fact that Jesus would come, become man, die, and rise again. 
On Yom Kippur, what was the sacrifice for Yom Kippur? They, they brought the scapegoat. They had the scapegoat and the goat which died. What would they do? They would come, one goat would die, the other would go away. One death, one free. By those death, many being made free. We look in the Scriptures, guys, and we see over and over again the Scriptures laying out for us incredible things that God does. And then we start seeing this pattern. Remember, I've spoken to you before. Hebrew prophecy is all about pattern. What patterns are there for three? Well, we look in the Scriptures, guys. You remember Joseph's dream? Remember in Joseph's dream, he had two guys, right? A baker and a cupbearer. Right? They both had dreams. Each one of them, in the dream, the baker would die on the third day. The cupbearer, he'd be set free. He would live. He would leave that place. Isn't it interesting, too, at the same time, what, are, what do we have there? The bread and the wine? The body broken? In the bread? The wine setting us free. The blood of Jesus Christ makes us clean. Children of Israel were delivered across the Red Sea on the third day. The scripture lays out for us, especially, we remember this one, Jonah was in the great fish for three days. Jesus pointed to that and said, even as he is in the great fish, so the Son of Man will be in the bowels of the earth for three days before he'll rise again. As we take a look, the scriptures declare to us that there would be a resurrection, that he would be buried, and on the third day, he would rise again. And then look at verse 5, back in 1 Corinthians 15. And he was seen by Cephas, and then by the twelve. Now you remember, Cephas is the Aramaic name for Peter. That's Peter. Peter and Jesus had a private meeting we don't know anything about. I like that. Peter messed up. Peter blew it. Peter denied the Lord three times. We'll see his public restoration in John chapter 21. But we see here that Jesus on the resurrection, when he spoke to, when the angels spoke to the women at, at the tomb, you remember they said, go tell the disciples and Peter. Lord's coming to him. Lord's coming to him. So he appeared to Cephas resurrected a part a, a, a time that that has not been specified for us and he was then seen by the 12 all of them together and we studied that over easter when they when jesus appeared to the disciples and after that he was seen by over 500 brethren at once of whom the greater part remained to the present though some have fallen asleep so as paul's writing this out what you need to realize, as the gospel was moving forward, all anyone had to do to stop this whole thing was present a body. Nobody could. While you're standing outside preaching that Jesus is risen, if someone knew for a fact that he was still dead in the ground and where his body was, they would have said, oh, nope, sorry, he's right here. They didn't do that. And 500 people saw him. You couldn't tell a lie about it. Why? Because everybody knew. Everyone was there. They were all there in Jerusalem for the Feast of Unleavened Bread. They were all a, a, a part of what took place and the excitement that occurred afterwards. So Paul's declaring it. Hey, 
They're still around. Go ask them. Don't just talk to me, though I've seen them. Peter saw them. The 12 disciples saw them. 500 people at once. 500 people at once. At the ascension, perhaps, they saw the Lord going up into the heavens and saying, in the same way that you've seen him go, he's going to return. He will return again. Well, Scripture goes on to tell us, after that he was seen by James and by all the apostles. James, this is his brother. This is his brother in the Gospel of Mark who thought Jesus went crazy. And literally came to him and said, hey, uh, I think you've gone nuts. You know, we got to talk about some of this stuff. And the Lord said, hey, I'm okay. Who's my mother? Who's my brother? You'll see. At the resurrection, James believes. Becomes the pastor of the church in Jerusalem when Peter has to flee. And leads the church in that place. The brother of Jesus James, he was seen by James. Then the scripture goes on. <clears throat> Last of all, he was seen by me also as one born out of due time. Paul saw the resurrected Christ. We read about it in Acts chapter 9. He's on his way, right? He's on his way to Damascus. On his way to Damascus, a light shines in the heavens, drops Paul to his knees. He, he looks up. The other people heard sound, but nobody could understand the voice. And the voice from heaven said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And Saul answered and said, Lord, who are you? And Jesus said, it is, it is I, Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Now, who was Paul persecuting? The church. What do we call the church? The body of Christ. What happens when the body of Christ is bickering among itself? We're hurting Him. We cause Him grief. So He said, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And from that moment forward, everything in Saul's life changed, including his name. Oh, Saul means exalted. Paul means small. At one time, Saul thought a lot of himself. His parents had big hopes. I mean, he was the man. He was rising the, 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 the ladder of power in the land. Everybody knew his name. He had letters. He could go anywhere he wanted to go. He's a Roman citizen. He could do anything he wanted to do to the Christians. Until that day, he met Jesus face to face and everything changed. Some of us in this room have had that same experience, haven't we? We've been a lot of places doing a lot of things, you know, maybe thinking we're going one direction or another. But when we come face to face with Jesus, everything changes. The motivation, why we do what we do, where we go, with the choices that we make, all those things change in light of his glory and grace. In light of what he did so he could know me. So he could have a relationship with me. So Paul said, I'm the last. Last one that saw him as one born out of due time. Like he's saying, I was, I was born late. I was born late. I, I, I didn't come along at the same time as the other apostles. Born out of due time. And then this is how he always refers to himself. For I am the least of the apostles and not worthy to be called an apostle. Because I persecuted 
the church of God. If you study the book of Acts, one of the things you'll discover is that that first one that was martyred there in Jerusalem, his name was Stephen. He was full of the Holy Spirit and power. He was picked by the church to minister to the widows. He continued to grow and develop in that ministry until he finds himself with more and more responsibility. And Stephen one day faces this crowd and he gives this incredible message. He teaches the crowd. Acts chapter 7, he lays out this great commentary on the Old Testament. And as he teaches the people, who was there? Saul was there. You know how I know? When they stoned him, it says, they laid all their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. What's the last thing Saul heard Stephen say? Father, not father, sorry. Oh yeah, father, forgive them. For they don't know what they're doing. Don't charge them with this sin. There was Saul. How many times, guys, after he met the Lord face to face, does that scene play in his head? I mean, do you, do you guys ever deal with regret? Do you ever wake up in the middle of the night and think of all the what ifs, all the should have done's, all the things I'd like to have done differently? The regret comes calling at night and all those scenes play back in your head. So Paul, he would remember all of those things and he would say, you know, I'm the, I'm the least of the apostles, not worthy to be called an apostle. But because of the grace of God and the fact that, that he valued that grace so highly, Paul does more, at least in human terms, than them all. Not because he was so great. Because he valued what God did for him so highly. In fact, Paul would go on to tell us, But by the grace of God, I am what I am. By the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me is not in vain. The grace that God gave me was not empty or useless. God gave me grace, and so I am propelled by his grace to service. It's not the other way around. Folks, sometimes we think that through service, I'll earn his grace. That's not how it works. God can't love you any more than he loves you right now, than he loved you the day he gave his son for you. He has already freely given you all things because all things are in his son. And he gave you his son. There's nothing that God would withhold from you. So he's given this great gift. Because of that grace, our response should be to serve. Not to serve to get the grace, but because of the grace to serve. That's what Paul's saying. Hey, by the grace of God, I am what I am. What you see is what you get. It's the same with every one of us, isn't it? Every one of us. I am what I am. I won't never be something else. I have a hard enough time just being me, let alone trying to figure out how to be somebody else. Can't do it. But the grace of God in my life is not vain. It's not empty. It it energizes me to move forward. What can I do for him? What can I do for the Lord? What opportunity is there for me to show you I love you? 
For me to show you that I care. For me to show you that I'm thankful for the grace that has been given. He would say in verse 10, But I labored more abundantly than them all. Yet it's not me, but the grace of God which was with me. It's all because of God's grace. Guys, that's why God's grace changes everything. It changes everything. I know it. I'm a recipient of it. Grace changes everything. Many of you know Kathy and my story. You know, if you don't, you're about to know. <clears throat> Kathy and my story, when we were, we were married 100 years ago, it seems like. <laughs> I don't mean that in a bad way, hon. <clears throat> I could spend eternity with you, you know. <clears throat> wow. I have to be careful what I do here. So we're, we're married. We're married young. I'm in the Marine Corps. We get married. The Marine Corps, in their, in their wisdom, sends me on unaccompanied tour. Anybody who's married to anyone in the military understands what that's all about because it happens to them all. There's no special issue between uh, Kathy and I, except on all the time that I was separated from her, I was not faithful. I cheated on my wife over and over again. And she would call and I'd say, baby, I'm sorry, I'm going to be different. And she'd give me another chance. And I'd mess it up again. And I'd call her and say, baby, I'm sorry, I'm going to be different. And she'd give me another chance. And I'd mess it up again. Then I'd call her and say, no, this time really, this time's going to be different. So she said, okay. And we moved to North Carolina. But I'm still the same person. And I mess it up again. So she goes home to stay with her sister. Now at this time, she's seven months pregnant. She flew home. She's at home. She's, she's pretty much thinking it's all over. I mean, how many chances are you supposed to give someone? How many times did you forgive someone for the same sin? So, she's flown away and I got all lonely. And I call her up and say, baby, no, this time I really mean it. How long before words are empty? After about the second time? What do the words mean? Words don't mean anything. You can say anything you want to say. What proves your actions? Right? My actions didn't say I love you to my wife, did they? No, I don't care what silly little words you want to say out your mouth. If your actions speak what I spoke, you don't love. So I call her baby one more time. One more time, I promise. And she gave me this long list of things I had to do, the thou shouts. I should have kept it. Put it up on a wall somewhere. For a while, I could be good. And I got called into my company commander's office the company commander said jackie i'm going to take you off of the persian gulf float and i thought wow i'm i must be pretty fortunate guy because nobody gets out of a float and then he told me why i'm going to take you off of the persian gulf float because you tested positive for hiv now my wife who just come home to give me my one more one more last very last absolutely last chance ever chance and I have to go tell her this 
How's that going to work? How's that going to fly? What's going to happen? You can play it in your mind right now, and I can promise you there's not one woman in here thinking the same things that Kathy thought. I went into that room, came home, said, Babe, I got good news and bad news. I, I often do that. <clears throat> she said, Give me the good news, because she's a very positive person, so I did. I'm off the float in the Persian Gulf. What's the bad news? Tested positive for HIV. I'll never forget what she said to me. I was expecting a lot of things. I was expecting, man, that's, I knew I should have never spent, a, you're the biggest waste of time ever, you're worthless, whatever, good for nothing. I'm out. She said, I don't want my husband to die. And all I could think was, that's all I deserve. The frustrating part for me was someone else was going to die in my place. My wife, the child that she carried, was going to die for my sin. I had a hard time dealing with that. I take responsibility for myself. But you know that your sins affect more than the people, more than just you. It affects everyone around you. It affects everyone. Listen. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, my wife ministered to me grace. And grace changed everything. Now it wasn't me trying to be good. It was the grace of God working in my life that enabled me to change. It's the grace of God that changes. It's a grace of God that energizes. It's a grace of God that encourages us to move forward. Hey, we went through that trial for a little better than a year, wondering what was going to happen, having dreams that everybody was dying and, and all this stuff was going on. They sent me to Bethesda and they sent me to this hospital and they sent me to that hospital all the while while they're getting me out of the Marine Corps. And then, out of nowhere... A test came back negative. And it never been positive since. Now I remember telling my dad, Oh, Dad, I can't believe it. How lucky I am. They must have messed up that test. They, somebody, must have, somebody must have messed it up. I still have the letter telling me what I had and that I don't. And wow, we don't know how to explain it. So I told my dad, Man, I, you know, I... I guess maybe, I, maybe I'm just lucky. And my dad said, you know, this fellow was working on a roof one day, real steep, two-story house. He was roofing up there, and he got all the shingles off, and just the wood there, and it was kind of slippery, and he started to slip. And just before he went off the edge, he called out, Lord, save me, and his belt loop got stuck on a nail. My dad said, this world's full of two kind of people. One person will say, sure, I'm lucky that nail was there. The other one will praise God for his providence. Amen. And that's what God did. He did the work. Jackie was never the same person after that. Not the same person. Now, down inside of me, I'm still that. I'm still the least, the chief of sinners, just like Paul. What makes me different? What makes you different? By the grace of God, I am what I am. But His grace is not in vain. 
it propels me. The grace of God empowers me to be what Jesus promised. He said, Behold, you are a new creation, created in Christ Jesus your Lord. For what? Good works that I have ordained before you. By the grace of God, I am new to show, not with my words to the Lord, Lord, I love you. And then I go do whatever I want. Lord, I love you. Oh, I'm sorry for that, Lord. And I go do whatever I want. Lord, I, I, I really love you this time. No, I'm really, this time I mean it. Now, now I get to say, Lord, I love you. My life's yours. Whatever you want, wherever it is, you call, I'll go. I love you, Lord. Now, do I earn his grace by that? No, his grace, free to you and me. But I can show, for the first time I can show that I really love the Lord by what I do. The same way he taught me to love my wife through the grace she showed me. So that now we're married 25 years? Four. It's so good it felt like 25. (laughs) I don't know how old my kids are either, so don't ask me. But the point... That's the point, right? So that we can learn to love God that way, guys. And so when Paul's laying this out, he's laying out for us the gospel. And he's saying, this is what God's done. By his grace, he died for your sin. Not only did he die for your sin, he became sin for you. He became that sin for one purpose. So he could spend eternity with you. That's all. And he doesn't care how many times you've messed up. Because he's a big enough God to pay the price for it all. Done. Finished. It's good. He was buried. And how do we know that his sacrifice really, truly did what he said he did? Well, the Old Testament tells us, you know, when Yom Kippur happened and the priest went into the Holy of Holies, he went into the presence of God. You know how they knew that the sacrifice took? If the priest came back out. Well, the priest would go in just in the linen. Every other day he'd wear all this fancy stuff. But on Yom Kippur, the day when he went into God's presence, he'd only wear the white turban. That's it. And he'd walk in with the blood of the lamb and he'd sprinkle the blood of the lamb on the the mercy seat. And if the sacrifice was accepted, their sins were forgiven, and he came out. What did Jesus do? The Bible says that he went into the heavenly places, to the temple not made with hands. He sprinkled his blood on the throne of God. That's accepted. Because on the third day, he rose again. And we have hope. We have hope that every wrong thing we ever do, every failure in our life can be redeemed because Jesus rose from the dead. We have the ability to trust and believe that every situation we find ourselves in, no matter how hopeless it looks, 
We have hope because Jesus Christ has resurrected and He can redeem every situation. Hey, my story is not all that uncommon. Now, maybe the, the, the certain parts of it are, but how many people do you know been healed? How many people you know in an impossible situation that God set free? How many people in bondage? How many times does it have to happen before we, like Paul, say, by the grace of God, I am what I am? But His grace isn't going to be in vain. So I'm going to do. I'm going to do that which the Lord has given me to do so that I can glorify Him. So that I can magnify His name. So that I can labor more abundantly than they all. Yet not I, but the grace of God which is with me. Therefore, whether... Me or you? So we preach, and so you believe. Amen? Amen. Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray.